friends, welcome back to Corbett Report Radio. Of course, I am your host, James Corbett of CorbettReport.com, coming to you tonight as every night, all the way from my home recording studios here in the sunny climes of western Japan. So once again, to each and every one of you out there listening to my voice wherever you might be right now, thank you once again for tuning into the broadcast. As always, your support and your listenership is greatly appreciated as I attempt to bring some real news and information to the people that out there, some of the stories that I think are important. And I never ask people to take my word for anything or to take my opinion as their own. I always always exhort you to go and look at the source documents of what I'm talking about and come to your own conclusions. That is the ethos of the Corbett Report. That's what I do, and that's why I'm doing it, is just to try to spread information that I think is important. So once again, if you're interested in anything that you ever hear on Corbett Report Radio, you can always go to corbettreport.com radio, and you'll be able to find the show notes and documentation for each episode of this broadcast because there's always work cited and things that I talk about, articles and videos and various other things that I'd prefer if people go and take a look at the originals for themselves, because once again, I'm not here to make up your mind for you. I'm just here to point you in the direction of interesting information. And on that note, tonight is Friday night, so as always with Friday night, we're going to be doing the Friday night highlight, which is bringing out some of the old material from CorbettReport.com. As I'm sure many of you know by now, I am James Corbett, of CorbettReport.com, and I've been doing this work for the last, well, going on for four years now. Um, in fact, over four years, almost going on five years. It's hard to believe time flies that quickly. But I've, for, uh, for almost five years, I've been doing CorbettReport.com, doing podcasts and interviews and articles and videos, uh, literally hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of hours of media there. Uh, some of it uh, extremely important, some of it not so important, but I hope to be able to bring you some of the best highlights from some of the work that you may have missed in the past if you're a newcomer to CorbettReport.com or if you're one of the few that have been there since the very beginning. Well, it's good to go back and refresh our memory sometimes. So let's do that tonight on Friday Night Highlights. And tonight we're going to be continuing our examination that we've been going over this week. Uh, we started with uh, Eric Shine and we continued with Stuart Rhodes of OathKeepers.org talking about NDAA and the new Enemy Expatriation Act, H.R. 3166, that I hope everyone has their eye on right now as they try to sneak another one past the goalie here and slip some more tyranny down everyone's throats while they're still... <coughs> excuse me, while they're still reeling from the last uh, bout of tyranny that uh, that hit them like an uppercut to the jaw. So, unfortunately, we have to keep our eye on the ball as they continue moving that ball down the court, and the next step in that chain is H.R. 3166, the Enemy Expatriation Act, which will allow the U.S. government to strip any U.S. citizen of their citizenship for daring to, to say anything against the government or in any way step out of line, all the government has to do is say that you are materially supporting a terrorist organization and suddenly you are no longer an American citizen. So absolutely just the next step in what unfortunately is a very long and unfolding chain of steps towards the implementation of martial law and really the police state, as I've tried to point out in some of my recent work, is already here. We don't have to wait for it. We don't have to look for it. We don't have to wring our hands and debate about what it'll look like when it arrives. We're already living it. It's just a question to what degree martial law has already arrived. So tonight, we're going to be taking a look at some of the uh, articles and videos and things that I've done in the past 
taking a look at this step, the steps towards martial law, the police state, all of the crackdowns and, and just the incredible abuses of, of tyranny and outright uh, control by the government over every aspect of the citizens' lives, which is really the defining characteristic of a police state. So I have some, I think, some interesting material lined up for you tonight, and we'll go into that. But let's take a short break, and when we come back, we'll continue with tonight's edition of Friday Night Highlights right here on Corporate Report Radio. Jimmy Carter says yes. Can our government be honest? Jimmy Carter says yes. greatest problems in talking about the police state is that all such discussion of the subject is hampered by the lack of a clear-cut definition. Given the public's own ignorance of the true nature and function of a police state, story after story after story of intolerable levels of official oppression, secret illegal surveillance, and increasingly sophisticated technology for tracking, apprehending, incapacitating, and even killing dissenters can be dismissed because these stories are reported one at a time in a contextless and therefore meaningless way that invites the interpretation that these stories are only warnings of what is to come instead of signposts of a reality that is already here. Those who seek to sow discord amongst the potential opposition to the growing control of the state over every aspect of the public's lives can confuse and distract those opponents by engaging them in endless dialogue fretting about what a police state is, whether our society is becoming one, and what the hallmarks of such a state might be. Distracted in this way, the public can be tricked into believing that the police state is some imaginary future possibility, one that will only be realized when menacing troops in brown shirts, red armbands, and jackboots goose-step people into internment camps against their will. The technique is devastatingly effective because people can become caught up in pointing at this or that story of police brutality or government surveillance as signs of a police state that onlookers are always expecting. In reality, the police state is already here, And to understand this, we need look only at the decades-long history documenting the step-by-step construction of this system. For many, the classical image of a police state comes from works of dystopic science fiction. These imagined police states tend to contain certain key elements that immediately let the reader or viewer know that the characters exist in a totalitarian society. They are ruled over by powerful, authoritarian governments. Surveillance, spying, and snitching are used as ways to keep people from rebelling against the government. Laws are arbitrary, and punishments immediate. And the laws are enforced by a menacing, militarized police force. In the United States, the militarization of the police force began in earnest in 1969, when the LAPD deployed the first SWAT team in a shootout with the Black Panthers. Since that point... SWAT teams have evolved into paramilitary forces equipped with tanks, stun grenades, and submachine guns. Although they were originally touted for their ability to respond to extremely dangerous and unusual situations such as hostage-takings and counter-terror operations, they are now routinely deployed for everything from domestic disturbances to gambling raids. The willingness of police departments to use their SWAT teams has even led to a new form of prank called swatting, where people call in fake emergencies to get SWAT forces deployed on their victims. Around 9.30 Wednesday night, more than a dozen cops and a SWAT unit swarmed an apartment at this North Salinas apartment complex. A 911 call had been made of three men armed with AK-47s trying to break in. However, when officers arrived, we found that it was actually a bogus call that had been uh, uh, sent 
through a computer system to our 911 operators. Also in the 1960s, the U.S. government began working on a series of continuity of government plans to ensure order during times of so-called civil disturbances. One of the best-known such plans from that era, Operation Garden Plot, envisaged military and National Guard members being deployed to police the American public in the event of a riot or uprising. This plan became the template for future contingency planning, carried on in the 1980s by Donald Rumsfeld and Dick Cheney at the behest of the Reagan administration. This led to Readiness Exercise 1984, a plan to round up and arrest vast numbers of U.S. citizens during a national emergency. Rex 84 was famously exposed during the Iran-Contra hearings. In February 1995, Joe Biden introduced a bill called the Omnibus Counterterrorism Act of 1995. Proposing sweeping changes to American law enforcement, it allowed for secret evidence to be used in prosecutions, expanded wiretapping by the government, and the creation of terrorism as a federal crime that could be invoked to allow the use of U.S. military in domestic law enforcement in direct violation to long-standing laws against such measures. The Clinton administration was unable to get the bill passed in the wake of the Oklahoma City bombing tragedy, but it returned in 2001 as the Patriot Act. Senator Biden even bragged that his 1995 bill was in large part the Patriot Act's forerunner. In the wake of the Patriot Act, all crimes and even misdemeanors could be treated as acts of terrorism, and civil liberties were greatly eroded. Amanda, we understand that because this case falls under the Patriot Act, a lot of the usual rights for defendants not available here. That's right, David. The Patriot Act was created after 9-11. It allows federal agents to investigate suspected cases of terrorism swiftly in order to better protect our country. But one Granville County mother says it gives the federal government too much leeway. Her son was taken into federal custody two months ago. She can't get him out, and she can't get any answers. Meanwhile, the Bush administration was setting up the Department of Homeland Security and expanding a covert surveillance program that illegally captured the personal phone calls, faxes, and emails of ordinary Americans without a warrant. In 2007, the Bush White House issued National Security Presidential Directive 51, a national continuity policy giving the president sweeping new powers in the event of a national emergency, itself declared by the president. When asking to see the classified version of the plan to understand precisely what powers the president was claiming for himself, Representative Peter DeFazio of the U.S. House Committee on Homeland Security was told he did not have clearance to read the document. Stan introduced a little sketchy public version that's clearly inadequate uh, and, and doesn't really tell us what they have in mind. But they said, don't worry, there's a detailed classified version. But now they've denied the entire Homeland Security Committee of the United States House of Representatives access to their so-called detailed plan to provide for continuity of government. They say, trust us. In 2008, it was revealed that InfraGuard, an FBI program started in 1996, had deputized over 23,000 members of private industry to work with the Department of Homeland Security in protecting national infrastructure against terrorist threats. Two program whistleblowers testified that they had been given shoot-to-kill powers in the event of martial law. In 2009, it was revealed that Boy Scouts were being trained by U.S. Customs and Border Patrol in simulated terrorism drills and border confrontations. In 2010, the Department of Homeland Security announced an expansion of its campaign, If You See Something, Say Something, 
which includes televised messages being played in department stores and hotels across the country, encouraging members of the public to snitch on each other. That's why I'm pleased that Walmart is helping to make our communities more safe and secure. If you see something suspicious in the parking lot or in the store, say something immediately. Report suspicious activity to your local police or sheriff. If you need help, ask a Walmart manager for assistance. Thank you for doing your part to help keep our hometowns safe. Seen in this context, we can properly understand that the police state is not some distant, far-off possibility. On the contrary, the legal, technical, and bureaucratic infrastructure for a system of outright state control under a unitary executive has been carefully laid over the course of decades, not just in America, but in country after country around the globe. And it's only in this context, with the police state as a present reality rather than a future possibility, that we can start to assemble the pieces of the police state puzzle that have been scattered out in front of us over the past 10 years. Just on a personal level, uh, how did you, what was your reaction uh, to learn that uh, law enforcement officials, according to this source, are analyzing the numbers that you dial on, presumably in an effort to track down your other con con confidential sources? Well, you know, I guess in an abstract way, I always thought that was likely or possible. But once I actually heard this specific information and, and this person knew a couple of specific calls, it was truly alarming and made you think, well, my gosh, what are we going to do about this? I mean, it means a lot more uh, in-person visits. I'm working on a big story now with people who are confidential sources inside the Federal Air Marshal Service. They were all alarmed that they might be exposed as talking with me in violation of rules. So it's of great concern. You're probably used to seeing these signature blue uniforms at the airport. But now TSA agents are on the interstates fighting terrorism with visible intermodal prevention and response or VIPER operations. Where is the terrorist most apt to be found? Not these days on an airplane or likely on the interstate. Tuesday, Tennessee was the first to do this simultaneously at five way stations and two bus stations statewide. Unbelievable. Armed guard. Who is sending? What branch of the U.S. government is sending armed guards into the Gibson Guitar Factory? Well, the Justice Department is uh, investigating us and in... Uh, with the wildlife, uh, the, there were several uh, enforcement departments, the Wildlife Bureau and also Homeland Security. Homeland Security, this is something that I had no, in 2009, Homeland Security officers dressed up, as I understand it, in SWAT gear, came in and went into your company. What do they claim that you were doing that is against the law? Well, the really ironic thing is they, they didn't tell us. The picture that is painted when one really looks at this information is bleak, but it is far better to understand the police state reality that exists than to fret about whether or not it is coming. For in reality, the police state is not an entity, not some monolithic thing or a state of existence that only has an on or an off position, but a process, a spectrum, something that always exists to one extent or another. Once this process is understood for what it is, the question is no longer whether or not this or that atrocity against liberty is a sign of a police state, but why we would ever tolerate such atrocities in the first place. And this is the real key to dismantling the police state, since all such authoritarian structures rests on the fundamental illusion that a few people at the top of the pyramid hold all the power, and all the masses at the bottom are under their thrall.
The truth, as always and in every society, is that the people hold all the power, and no amount of illegal surveillance or police state gadgets could ever hold back an engaged, informed public that recognized their own power over the public officials they support with their tax dollars, and the elected representatives that they vote into power, and the corporate giants that they buy from every single day. Once that illusion is shattered and the people realize that the pyramid is inverted with the mass of the people threatening to crush the few at the apex at any given moment, the police state loses its power. If you're just joining us, of course, this is Corbett Report Radio on the Republic Broadcasting Network, and I'm your host, James Corbett of CorbettReport.com. And tonight we're going through the archives of CorbettReport.com for old articles, interviews, videos, and podcast episodes, and other resources, as we do every Friday night here on the broadcast to highlight ongoing and interesting issues that I've covered before on CorbettReport.com. Tonight we're going through the archives to, to examine the police state and all of the moves towards martial law that we've been taking, that have been taking place for so long now that we've become really bathed in it to the point where we don't even see it anymore. It's like the water we're swimming in. So for those of you who were listening in on the last segment there, that was from a brand new video that I released just this week called Police State 2012. No need to wait. It's already here. And that has gone semi-viral. It's gotten picked up by quite a few big websites now and gotten quite a bit of traffic. So I'm glad to see that. And, of course, that is one of the eye-opener reports for BoilingFrogsPost.com, that being Sibel Edmonds' website. And for those of you who don't know Sibel Edmonds, please do a search for her name. For those of you who do know, you will know that she is one of those tireless fighters who has been coming out more and more on the side of truth and, and really doing some incredible hard-hitting investigations at BoilingFrogsPost.com. So it's my great honor to be associated with that website and the incredible work that she's been doing over the years. And uh, now with the eye-opener weekly video investigative journalist reports, uh, we've been going through things like the police state and, and other uh, topics. So uh, in order to see that full video, you'll have to log in with your BoilingFrogsPost.com membership. And those membership fees are going towards supporting a Boiling Frogs Post team that Sabella is putting together, including my Myself and people like Peter B. Collins and Paul Jamial and uh, Bill Bergman and others. So an incredible team that she's assembling. And in order to really make this into the into the website that we want to with the, the full team, we need more members, of course, as always. So please do s- consider subscribing if you appreciate those reports. They are made available to the public three weeks after publication. So in three weeks' time, you can go to BoilingFrogsPost.com to watch that video if you don't have a login. And at any rate, let's continue on with uh, undigging and unearthing some of these interesting reports from the past about various aspects of this police state that, of course, is not just limited to to the U.S., although it is perhaps most blatant there with some of the greatest discrepancies between what the U.S. was and what it has been historically and what it has devolved into in this day and age. And that's even without the rose-colored glasses of uh, American history. There have been some pretty horrific things in American history and terrible times, but really um, the codification of things like the NDAA and all of the other things that we see going on right now is just incredible, unbelievable steps towards tyranny in a country that has long considered itself to be free. 
But as I say, this affects countries all around the world. And on CorbettReport.com, you'll see reports about Australian police state and the UK police state. But of course, myself being Canadian, I'm interested in how Canada fits into all of this. And in 2009, at the end uh, part of 2009, I wrote an article called New Legislation Tabled to Stop RCMP from Investigating Itself. And for those in the audience, RCMP is the Royal Canadian Mounted Police, the Mounties. That's right. And their uh, their famous uh, dictum is, the Mounties always get their man. But the uh, subhead for this article is, the Mounties always get their man, unless that man is a Mountie. And this uh, article reads in part, quote, New Democrat MP, that's Member of Parliament, Nathan Cullen, has tabled legislation in the Canadian Parliament that would prevent the Royal Canadian Mounted Police from investigating its own in situations where there are concerns about officer misconduct. The legislation comes on the back of a report by a parliamentary RCMP watchdog that concluded that there was a need for an independent body to investigate incidents resulting in deaths and serious injuries of people in police custody. The RCMP currently conducted its own internal investigation when there are currently conducts its own internal investigations when there are suspicions that a Mountie has acted inappropriately in the course of his or her duties. The review was commissioned on the back of numerous complaints about internal investigations that found no wrongdoing on the part of officers despite evidence to the contrary. Such incidents include the 2005 death of Ian Bush, 22, who was arrested on a minor offense and shot in the back of the head after being transported to the police detachment. An incident in Manitoba where an RCMP member was accused of sexually assaulting an inmate in a detachment cell block and numerous instances of assault, bodily harm, and the improper use of force. In the majority of such cases, no charges were recommended by the RCMP's internal investigatory body, nor were any charges laid. The incident that has drawn the sharpest criticism of the RCMP amongst the general public was the 2007 death of Robert Zinanski, a, dis- a disoriented Polish traveler who became agitated upon his arrival at Vancouver International Airport. RCMP officers at the scene tasered him to death, saying that he had been acting in a threatening manner. Video evidence later emerged showing that the RCMP spokesman had lied about the incident to the media. And then in that article, there's a link to the video, and then it continues, The RCMP are not the only Canadian police force under suspicion of conducting biased self-investigations. The Vancouver police force has been highly criticized for its handling of the 2009 shooting death of Michael Van Hubbard, a homeless man who was wielding nothing deadlier than an exacto knife. After the incident, the police seized and erased cell phone video of the shooting. And it goes on from there with more egregious abuses of power by the various uh, Canadian police forces. And as I say, this is not something that's limited to the U.S., it's not limited to Canada, it's not limited to Australia or the U.K. or Germany or any other pl- place on the globe. It happens every day in so many different places. And without an organized citizenry who is able to respond to things that are going on in terms of police abuses of power, well, I shudder to think what's coming, becoming of our societies when we don't even take the time to document this and really reflect on it. At any rate, we'll be back with more right after these messages. myself today 
to see if I still feel I focus on the pain the only thing that's All right friends welcome back to the broadcast this is Corbett Report Radio, and we are doing Friday Night Highlights, where we're looking at some of the work that I've done at CorbettReport.com in the past. Tonight's theme is the police state, and we're taking a look at the growing and encroaching police state and all of the various aspects of that. And we've touched on quite a few of them in the broadcast here in the last few days and on CorbettReport.com gen- generally. But I think people tend to have certain associations with the term police state because it contains in itself, of course, the word police. And uh, people tend to just think of jackbooted thugs in uh, uniforms uh, goose-stepping their way uh, to get people into internment camps, as I put in my latest police state video as a loud helicopter goes over my apartment here in Japan, fittingly enough. And, And it's extremely important, for I think, for people to understand that the tyranny of the police state is not going to look like it did in Nazi Germany. It's going to look particularly American in America. It's going to look particularly Canadian in Canada. It's going to look particularly British in the UK, etc., etc. It's all going to have its own flavors and inflections, and they're going to sell it to you in the various ways that they sell different things to different cultures, but they will still sell it to you. And it's not likely to be a catastrophic event that brings about this sudden march to the death camps all overnight. That is a possibility, and there's always the false flag possibility. Well, what if there was some sort of simultaneous nuke attack, and they blame it on a bunch of terrorists, and they start rounding people up? I think we all understand how easily that could happen in this current day and age with the current political climate, and how, well, we'd obviously be living in an extremely different paradigm in the wake of such an event. But for the time being, I think, honestly, it would probably suit the purposes of the people who are seeking to bring about the police state even more to not do it that way. Instead, to lead us into it gradually, piece by piece by piece. And there's lots of different pieces to this puzzle. Again, the term police state tends to make us think of just police, uniformed officers in the police force. But I think it that's part of the problem about talking about the police state. Police state, when you look at the real definition, doesn't just revolve around police and and even secret police forces, which of course includes the general public spying and snitching on each other, which is very, very much what's happening with these Department of Homeland Security see something, say something type uh, propaganda deals that they're trotting out now and have been for some years really when you start looking into it. It's not just those aspects of it. It's also any aspect of state control, executive unitary authority, authoritarianism, the coalition coalition of power into smaller and smaller groups of people. That is what the essence of the police state is about. It's about tyranny. It's about drawing people into a system in which they have fewer and fewer rights, fewer and fewer freedoms, and not only what they do, but even how they think is regulated at a greater and greater level and to a greater and greater extent. And there's no way that can function by simply brute force police boots on the ground. It has to function in a coordinated effort that spans so many different aspects of our daily activities that it is truly mind-boggling to start to think about how all these pieces come together. But that's exactly what we've been doing here on CorbettReport.com and on Corporate Report Radio since its inception. And that's what we're going to continue doing here as we 
continued to take a look at various aspects of this, and I wanted to uh, go back to a podcast episode that I did, well, a couple of years ago now, in fact, uh, two and a half years ago, uh, back in May of 2009, when the bird flu, uh, sorry, the swine flu uh, scare was getting uh, off the ground in earnest, and and we saw all that remarkable rollout of all that propaganda about the swine flu hype, and of course now they, they I saw it recently, it was touted on a newscast as, oh, it killed 12 to 14,000 people without them telling you that the average flu in an average year kills 18,000 Americans alone. I mean, that's an incredible amount of people compared to the 12,000 worldwide that supposedly died from this swine flu. So why was the swine flu hyped as much as it was? Well, I think part of that is because the whole medical establishment has been, has been being prepped, is being prepped, is continuing to be prepped as part of this package of various tricks that the globalists hold up their sleeves to, to bring out that ace card at any moment and, and implement various aspects of martial law. And it's not something that we think about nearly enough, but it's something where all of the infrastructure is already in place for the implementation of medical martial law. Now that's a concept that's very foreign to a lot of people because it's not something that's really talked about in those terms, but that's really what is being set up when you start to take a look at it. And the infrastructure, as I say, has been there for a while now. The various statutes and acts and what have you has been passed quietly in state legislatures and has been working its way through the federal government for quite a long time now. It's an integral part of the North American Union and the the cross-border deals between Canada and America that we've been talking about here on the broadcast for a while. It's about it's such an integral part of so many different things, but so few people know what it is, where it comes from, how it was established, or how it's likely to play out. So in order to fill in some of the gaps in the knowledge of medical martial law and how the medical establishment and all of these swine flu and bird flu and all the other hypes and pandemics and all of that will likely play out in the future, let's take a look at some work I've done at CorbettReport.com. Now, firstly, I'd like to direct the listeners' attention to a video that I just put up for Global Research TV looking at the idea of, uh, of this bird flu that's been created in a lab by some Dutch scientists. It's a special, completely weaponized form of this bird flu. It's highly contagious amongst humans, whereas no naturally occurring variation of this H5N1 bird flu has ever been human-to-human uh, readily transmissible. So uh, absolutely, this is an incredible bioweapon that's been created by these scientists, and now the U.S. government and others are freaking out, oh, you can't publish the details because the terrorists will get their hand on it, when we know, and as I go into some degree of detail in that video that, again, I'll direct your attention to, and you can find from CorbettReport.com radio, I go into some detail about how really it's the government that we have to be worried about more than anyone else when it comes to these bioterror threats and all the hype and propaganda around them. But way back in 2009, when this swine flu was taking off in earnest and all of the hype was about that, I released an episode of my podcast, episode number 86, called Medical Martial Law. And I tried my best to lay out a a scenario, at the very least, for how the, the swine flu could, at the very least, be used to, to be part of that ground base level hype 
that then becomes the, the mechanism through which legislation can be passed to set up the pattern for future pandemics as, uh, as they arise. And whether they're real and spontaneous or whether they're the results of real bioterrorists who are, you know, the Al-Qaeda chemical engineers lurking in the shadows, or whether, as is far more likely, it comes from government Just as the creation of a global governmental, no matter how the next control pandemic plays will out, only play into the hands of again those be used to activate global government, perhaps even implement so a global a very, health very, emergency very, can very only play into the hands uh, of those of this entire plan create medical global government law. Control. So let's listen to an outtake that there are not going to be cited very insignificant tests of episode 86 governmental intervention, military and otherwise, in the lives of average citizens as the result of future pandemics and outbreaks. One need only look at the ways in which this current swine flu panic, again, only resulting in a handful of deaths, there have already been substantial moves made to implement medical martial law, not just the passing of that act in Massachusetts. For one indication of that, we can turn to ComputerWorld.com, April 30th, 2009. If flu threat rises, CDC wants pandemic coordinator in workplace. Another indication for those who might think that this is solely an American issue comes from an Australian article from the Australian Broadcasting Corporation at abc.net.au from April 28, 2009. Mandatory detention laws for flu sufferers. And, of course, we also have the North Bay Nugget reporting from a Canadian perspective that talks about how the North Bay Perry Sound District Health Unit is setting up flu centers, which will in fact be mass vaccination centers in the event that emergency rooms become overwhelmed by pandemic flu cases. Again, of course, all of these stories and many, many, many more that we don't have time to get into today, but which I leave you to research for yourself, are just data points in a trail that start to form a picture a picture that shows us a very bleak future if and when the governments of the Western world decide to pull the trigger on the pandemic martial law scenario. Again, of course, part of the martial law process, which we've outlined in previous episodes of this podcast, is to indoctrinate and gradually acclimate people to the implementation of martial law. So it's to be expected that the first implementation, or the first two or three implementations will be small-scale and generally seen to be mostly effective, although of course there will be much hand-wringing in the media by people pretending to be on our side who will say that perhaps it's going too far to force people into vaccination scenarios or to quarantine them against their will. But eventually, Of course, the whole media process will serve only to further cement in the minds of the general public that such steps are necessary. And eventually, by the time the public is acclimated to the idea, then all it would take is the release of a bio-warfare agent, whether from a real bioterrorist group or, as is more often the case by the government, it will be used to affect the full-scale implementation of what they are only beginning to test out at the moment. And of course, just like a martial law scenario that would play out in the event of a terrorist attack, a martial law scenario in the wake of a pandemic attack could only be pulled off if a sufficient percentage of the public were unaware of the ultimate game plan. 
And of course, that game plan is exactly what was talked about in today's first Real News story from Jim Tucker reporting from this year's Bilderberg and revealing that, yes, indeed, top of the agenda is how to exploit the swine flu hysteria to further strengthen the World Health Organization and implement world health regulations. So once again, the swine flu hysteria, which has been fed and fed upon by the controlled corporate media and has sufficiently served to raise public hysteria, is, of course, another stepping stone on the way to global government, just like so many other issues have been exploited in exactly this way. So what then can we actually do about this? Well, of course, forewarned is forearmed, knowledge is power, and we have to inform others about what is really going on. And an absolute cornerstone of this research is the understanding that the vaccines that they're going to try to use in the event of the next pandemic are more likely than not going to hurt people than save them. And we have to expose that by exposing some of the very troubling information about vaccines presented in today's episode. The fact that Baxter shipped out live bird flu to be mixed in with regular flu for the flu shots should be something that we should be screaming from the rooftops to anyone who will listen. That is one of the key stories that shows that even if this was a complete accident, in which case it would just be gross criminal negligence, the fact that it hasn't been touted, it hasn't been cited, it hasn't been written about or talked about in the controlled corporate media is itself a sign that there is a very troubling disconnect between the real world and the world that we are being fed through the TV news and the newspapers. The fact that the Baxter company has been ac accused of specifically trying to start a pandemic should be, in any reasonable world, the front page headline on every newspaper in the world until some accountability is to be had. But of course, as we know, vaccine manufacturers are given all sorts of indemnity against claims from people who have had ill effects from their nauseous substances. We have to break through and get people to realize that the vaccine manufacturers are very often the cause of the problems, not the solution. And, of course, the 1976 swine flu vaccine is a good example of that. And the recent revelation that this swine flu may, in fact, have been developed in a vaccine experimental lab and just accidentally released should be another thing that draws the public's attention towards the fundamental issue of biosafety, which is something which is never mentioned in the news reports. It's always the general public who don't wash their hands or who, or who don't take their flu shots that are to blame for millions of deaths. At this point, I leave you to go out there and do your own research, but of course, get that research out to others Without exposing others to this information and waking them up to what is really going on, we will not prevail in this fight, and medical martial law will be implemented. 
Once again, that audio was just a clip from a podcast episode that I produced back in 2009 called Medical Martial Law, and you'll be able to find a link directly to that audio from the show notes for tonight's broadcast at CorbettReport.com slash radio. But I hope that helps at least a little bit in piecing together some of the dots in how a big swine flu or bird flu or whatever phony terror threat they invent next, bioterror weapon they invent to, to unleash on the public, can and presumably will be used in the future to implement more and more strictures and, and crackdowns. And again, I think that the really insidious part of this is if they do the slow staged releases, starting off minor and then more and more and more, more frequently, more deadly each time so that the uh, they put in more and more pieces of this martial law puzzle until we are in a total outright Orwellian police state and few of us will realize how we got there if we're not looking and paying attention to these pieces and how they're being put on the chessboard as we speak. So once again, it's important to get yourself familiarized with the documents behind that podcast and all of the other information that's out there on this topic. And as I say, I just did that Global Research TV video on this uh, this idea of the weaponized bird flu. So that's another, unfortunately, another vector, another meme, another idea that we have to keep our eyes on to see how it plays out. But on that note, let's uh, let's come back. Uh, we'll take a short break, but we'll come back with the closing minutes of Corbett Report Radio right here on Republic Broadcasting. Radio. Here we are in the final minutes of the broadcast for tonight and the final minutes of the broadcast for this week. So once again, I hope you've enjoyed some of these broadcasts and gotten some of the uh, some valuable information out of them. Once again, as always, I suggest you go and check some of the source documents and articles and re- videos and all the other research that goes into these broadcasts at CorbettReport.com slash radio where you can find all of the documents backing up all of the things that I talk about and all of the clips that I play on every single edition of the Corbett Report Radio. And tonight we've been going over some of the work that I've done in the past highlighting the police state that unfortunately is already here. And I stress that over and over again, not because I want people to to give up hope. It's not uh, Dante's entrance to hell. It's not abandon all hope. Ye who enter here, just give up and take it because it's already here. On quite the contrary, I think we have to understand the system we're living in and really confront it for what it is rather than what it tries to tell tell you that it is because the enemy will always come to say, oh, I'm not an enemy, I'm just your friend, I'm here to protect you, I'm here to keep you happy and healthy. And it's always a lie, and it's always done to try to make you 
back down and to, to just go back to sleep and to stop getting involved because once again we are hurting them on the in the info war we're hurting them on every information level they cannot stand up to people who are informed and understand what's going on if we understand all their parlor tricks their medical martial law their their attempts to get themselves out of investigating themselves and all of the other tricks that they play time and again if we don't fall for it they can't use it and that my friends is the key and that I think is really one of the reasons we haven't seen the escalation in false flags and and other tricks in the last 10 years and why they haven't yet tried that straight of Hormuz false flag that Cheney had planned back in 2008 and all the other shenanigans that they've been planning and scheming and dreaming of for all this time to try to get people further and further into the police state it's because they know so many people are waking up to this knowledge so once again I rely on the support of all the people out there to help spread this information around and get other people in up to speed on these issues and we really truly are making an incredible difference right now as has been seen in the stratospheric meteoric rise of Ron Paul and the idea of liberty and uh, once again the all it takes is the truth once people hear it once that's all they need and they can start picking it up for themselves so that's all we're doing we're planting seeds and hoping they'll grow on that note I have noticed an incredible explosion in interest in my website recently and I don't know what it is in the last week or two I've had a couple of videos that have gone pretty big and I've gotten a lot of new people looking at the website so that's great to see and once again, I'm getting so much e- email and, and tips and suggestions and links and ideas and all sorts of contacts through the contact form on CorporateReport.com, which I greatly appreciate. I truly do appreciate all the feedback and all the stuff that's coming in, but I cannot respond to all of it. I'm just one man, and it's so much information. So thank you, as always, for for sending that in. It's greatly appreciated, and I will try to get back to people when and if I can, but if I don't get back to you, please don't take it personally. I'm just getting so much feedback right now, and so much support as well. All of the people who signed up for the the, the newsletter to become subscribers and supporters of The Corporate Report over the past week, and there are quite a few that did, uh, thank you so much. I truly can't do this without your support. So on that somewhat upbeat note, let's end it there. Thank you once again for tuning into Corporate Report Radio, and I look forward to joining you again on this broadcast next week. Same days, same channel, so stay tuned, and thank you so much for listening. Take care.